The Latter-day Lives podcast is not owned or operated by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Any opinions expressed or implied in this recording are solely those of the host and guests and not of any specific organization, unless otherwise stated. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 131 of the Latter-day Lives podcast. I'm your host, Sean Rapier. Thank you so much for joining us again this week. I hope you are all doing really well in light of all that is going on in our nation and our world right now, but we're going to escape from that for a few minutes, and we're glad to have some time together. Uh, Before we jump into this week's episode, I do want to thank our reviewers. Uh, We had some five-star reviews this week, one from NMKJNGF. Uh, is the username. I'm not sure if it's supposed to spell out something, but I also want to give a special shout out and a special thanks to a five-star reviewer uh, that we got this week. And uh, Brian Dunn left his name on the review. Uh, And so Brian, thank you so much for your review. Brian uh, talked about listening to the show as this past few weeks has been the most challenging of his 25-year career. And that's because Brian is an emergency physician and that he travels back and forth, and he's been listening to the podcast uh, to get uplifting content. And Brian, we cannot thank you enough for the incredible work. I can't imagine being an emergency physician right now, what that must be like, how difficult and, and scary of a time that is. Brian, God bless you, and thank you for the kind words, but also for all that you and all of our responders and parents and teachers and everybody coming together. It's just, uh, it's it's crazy to see right now what's happening, but we have some very valiant people working very hard, so thank you. Uh, this week's episode, my guest Lynette Shepard, she was so eye-opening and so candid and just shares such a wonderful message about parenting and about her uh, studies and her podcast, and you will love Lynette. She is fantastic. And coming up this week in my Latter-day Life, it was enough. It's all coming up. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's conversation. And today on the program, in an effort to really socially distance, I mean, we are socially distancing uh, much more than six feet right now. My guest, Lynette Shepard, welcome to the show. Well, I'm so honored to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, super thrilled to have you on. And and I joke about social distancing because we're not in the same room. We're not in the same state. Tell us where, where uh, you're recording from. I am in the Phoenix area. So we're, what, a state apart? Are you in Utah? Yep, I'm in Utah. So, record. Yeah, recording from far enough away that we definitely are practicing the right social distancing right That's now. That's right, a little more than six feet. Yes. So, Lynette uh, is not only along with her husband the host of an amazing podcast. She's also a blogger and an expert in all things parenting. I'm so impressed with you, Lynette. We're going to hear about all the cool projects you're involved in. But first of all, let's get to know you a little bit better. Tell us a little bit about where you're from. So I grew up in Gilbert, Arizona, which right now I'm in the Phoenix area. So it's about an hour from where I live right now. Uh, My family moved there when I was eight years old, and I lived there until I graduated from high school at 18. 
I was super active as a child, but not very athletic. Mm. And so I have like <laughs> the scars to prove it because I tried, <laughs> I tried to run track one year when I was in the seventh grade and I tripped over the hurdles and it was a dirt track because that's how oh old I am. And I, I still have the scars. So I'm not super athletic, but I was very active and it was my goal in life when I was a child to be a gymnast. And so I would spend hours outside teaching myself how to do all these gymnastics tricks because my parents could not afford lessons. And so I fell on my head more times than I can count. And that probably explains a lot actually about how I am as an adult, but I grew to be five foot nine inches tall and realized that I just did not have the gymnast genes. So I had to give up on that. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Were you, were you, uh, were you raised in the church? I was, yes. My family goes back to pioneer stock on both sides. How many siblings did you have growing up? So I come from a family of six kids and there's three boys, three girls. So we were the Brady Bunch and I'm the second oldest and we are all there's seven total years between the oldest and the youngest, and there's six of us. So, seven years in six kids. Uh, yeah, right? So I have a sister who is 13 months older than me and another sister 11 months younger than me. It's like I, my mother is a saint. That's all I have to say. Oh After being gosh, a mom, yes. I'm like, how did you do that? That must have been so crazy. Yeah, that is truly amazing. Holy cow. Well, then you had a lot of experience with children your whole life. <laughs> I mean, not right. just in your area of expertise. Yeah, totally. In fact, I like as a child, I had two friends who came from families with eight kids. And I thought that eight kids was even better than the six in my family. And so that's what I aspire to. Like from a young age, I'm like, I'm going to grow up and I'm going to have eight kids, because that looks like so much fun. I even picked out their names. <laughs> I don't remember what those are. <laughs> oh, so you were born for all this, Lynette. I'm really learning. Uh, you were definitely <laughs> born to do all this good stuff. It's definitely a learned skill. I was really kind of dreaming back then, and it, it has been a lot harder than I anticipated. <laughs> oh, yeah. When I was a kid, I thought, man, when I'm a parent, I'm never going to do this. I'm never going to do that like my parents do. Did you have that? And is it funny to look back at that? Totally. I think everybody has that, right? My kids are going to grow up and say the same thing. I will never do this that my mom did. I don't. Yeah. I can't remember anything like specific that I said, I will never do that. But I was just like, no, I'm going to do everything different. That's what I'm going to do. You get done with high school. What came next? So after high school, I went straight up to BYU. I started the summer term after graduation. So like a month after graduation, I was up at BYU. Mm -hmm. And I had such a hard time deciding what I wanted to study because all I'd ever wanted to do is be a mom. I did not have career aspirations. And I think that's great if women have career aspirations. But for me, I just wanted those eight kids, you know? I And so I got to BYU and I'm like, I'm getting a college degree and I'm like determined to do that, but I don't know what I want to study. So it took me a little bit to figure that out, but I finally landed on family science. I know that's probably a surprise given that introduction, but <laughs> I just figured that's going to be the best uh, education to give me a well-rounded approach to being 
a parent and being a good wife and be, you know, having a good, stable family. That's what I wanted. So for those who don't know, like me, uh, what is what is the family science degree? So the family science degree is like the precursor to maybe marriage and family therapy or, mm. you know, so that you can't really do a whole lot with that degree unless you get a graduate level degree. But yeah, the marriage and family therapy was in the school of family life, which is where family science fit. And so we just studied all aspects of family. We stood from parenting to family finance to family dynamics. Like there were so many different aspects, uh, you know, like marriage for sure. We had all these different classes relating to all different aspects of family life and how to, you know, make the most of family, really. But I didn't go on and do the graduate work and get the marriage and family therapy degree. I stopped after the bachelor's. So so when you were in your bachelor program, did you kind of have an idea of what you might want to do with the degree? Or were you just enjoying studying family? Yeah, I didn't know. Like I said, I'm just like, I just want to be a mom. And in fact, that's it. I got okay. married. I got married super young. So my husband and I met when I was 16. And so, yeah, we met like I was barely 16 and he was <laughs> 17 and he was going to college because he graduated early and a mutual friend introduced us and we just became the best of friends. And then he went on his mission when I was a senior in high school. And so we wrote back and forth every week between for the whole two years of his mission. We wrote back and forth. I have this huge binder of our letters back and forth to each other. You still have it. I still have it. Yeah, they're in order. Like I even organized them in order. My letters so in cool. letter. Yeah. So in fact, I got them out of the box um, just a couple of years ago and put them together in a binder and gave it to him for like Valentine's Day or something. That but is anyway, amazing. It's really fun to go back and, and read those letters. But he got back when I was a sophomore at BYU and then he got back in December. We got engaged in March. We were married um, in July. So, Good for you. <laughs> yeah, it was super fast, but we had known each other for, you know, right, years right. at that point. But yeah, so I got married like one month after my 20th birthday. And then we had our first baby a year and a half later. So it was just kind of a whirlwind. You grew up very fast, Lynette. <laughs> Is that fair to say? It's totally fair to say. And I always felt like I was kind of an old soul. Like I, mm. I don't know, I always felt more mature or responsible than other people my age. And that was probably all in my head. But so I didn't feel young. Like I felt really ready for these big life-changing decisions. Well, in some yeah. ways, I thought I was ready. Looking back, it I'm just like, I was a baby, so young. Yes. Uh, you, so you were 22 when your first child was born. I was 21, actually. 21. All yep. right. So now, I, 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 I'm not going to ask you how old you are, but for, I gather from <laughs> you know the, the podcast and everything that you and I are close to the same age. Uh, you know, you might be a bit younger than I'm I am. I'm 42. But I have no shame. <laughs> you're 42. See, you're you're a baby. You're five years younger than I am. Uh, <laughs> but now at 42, do you look at 21 year olds and go? No, no, yes, you're not ready. I have a son who's 21 and I look at him and I'm just like, 
you are so young. I don't even know what we were thinking. We were just jumped into all these big things, but <laughs> I don't regret it. I mean, I think it was the sure. right thing for us, but it looking back, it was a little crazy. Yeah, we got married at 22 and I'm kind of the same way. I look at, you know, my kids now I've got a few that are older than 22 and I'm like, not a chance. You guys are not ready. So yeah, <laughs> totally. maybe it's just, I don't know if it's a different time or what, but so you, you, you guys got married. Now your husband is a dentist, correct? Correct. Yes. A pediatric dentist. See, I'm a listener to you, to the podcast. So oh, there I you go. You know, I feel that. like I know you guys a little bit. <laughs> so he was in dental school when you had your first child. Is that right? Nope. He was still at BYU. Oh, he was we, still at BYU. This yeah. was pre-dental. Okay. Yeah, pre-dental. So my, our oldest child was born two weeks after I, no, two weeks before I finished all of my coursework for my bachelor's degree. Wow. So I, like, time, Lynette. Yeah. I graduated and then I was just a mom, just like I planned. It all worked perfectly, right? <laughs> <laughs> and the rest is history, folks. That's our episode. That's it. Nothing, nothing ever went wrong. So, <laughs> no, so you, you have a very specific experience that I enjoy. And again, we're going to get to the podcast and how I kind of know some of these things. But talk to us because it, it was obviously a big turning point for you. Talk to us about uh, about your first child. Oh, my gosh. So... Like I said, I was a family science major, and so I'd spent all of my time learning all the things about family, and so I felt pretty prepared. You know, I was pregnant with him as I was in my last semester of school, and I was just thought I had it all together. I thought, you know, I had read the research, I had written the papers, I knew the theories, I knew all the things that I thought I needed to know to jump into motherhood with grace and poise. And I just had <laughs> dreams that this was going to be like the perfect baby. And he was going to just do everything perfectly. Cause of course I knew all the things, right. I thought I did. <laughs> and so heavenly father has a sense of humor. I have realized because he was probably looking down on us. And once again, we're babies like 21 years old. And he's just like, oh, yeah, they think they know what they're doing. Let's just <laughs> throw them for a little bit of a loop. So we had this baby. And the first night we had him home from the hospital, he screamed himself hoarse. By the morning, he had no cry left because his voice was just gone. And it took both Greg and I to even change his diaper because he just wouldn't even sit still. He was moving all over the place one day old. And oh we looked at each other after that night of zero sleep and all screaming. And we're just like, oh my gosh, this is not how we pictured it. This is not how it's supposed to be because this baby from his very first hours on earth just let us know that he was not going to comply with our perfect dreams for him. He had a <laughs> mind of his own from the very beginning. And so that one night of screaming turned into nine months of crying, and that turned into years of my way or the highway type behavior from him. And wow. so it was, yeah, it was a real, a real shocker to be thrown into that at 21 years old with so little life behind us, you know? <laughs> what What are some of the emotions? I mean, you know, we, we may, I, I, in fact, I know we have listeners who aren't parents yet. For, you know, you're here you are very young. 
you think you have experience when what you really have is knowledge, right? And mm-hmm. yeah, you know, those are different things. I learned quickly, right? And we, you know, we we all think we have experience, but but it really, it's 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 expertise and knowledge, whatever. What are some of the range of emotions you went through during that time? Oh my gosh, it was a roller coaster of emotions because, of course. I'm so happy to have this little baby. This is what I've wanted and looked forward to and planned for and studied for and worked for my whole life. And so I'm so excited to be doing what I've always wanted to do. But then it's exhausting. It's exhausting. And I feel like I have no idea what I'm doing. And I feel like a complete failure many, many, many nights and days where it just drags on and all I'm doing is putting out fires. And I'm just thinking, is this really what I wanted to do with my life? Is this what, I, what I've been working for all this time is just to be dealing with this strong-willed baby turned toddler turned little boy who doesn't want to comply with anything that yeah. I think is good for him. Did, did you find, I mean, this is something my, my wife and I certainly found. I mentioned we were chatting a little bit beforehand that we've had some children with some real difficulties. Did you find that at the same time that you were realizing you're not an expert in parenting, that mm-hmm. everyone around you suddenly did become an expert? Yes, totally. <laughs> That's totally what happened. And I'm just like in the, this was in the days before the internet where we didn't have a lot of support at the time. Um, I mean, we had two kids when we went to dental school in Ohio, far away from family, and we had two more while we were there. And so we had this house full of little kids, and I was kind of going crazy because I felt like I was the only one who was struggling with kids who were just crazy. And I would go to church and I would go anywhere in public and I'd look around and I would be like, all these kids look like they're so calm and mellow. And they're just like sitting there reading a book while my kids are running around and screaming and being ridiculous. (laughs) And yeah, totally. I'm like, oh man, I have no idea what I'm doing. I have no idea why Heavenly Father thought that it would be a good idea to send these kids to me because I'm going to ruin them. That's how I felt. We went through that too, you know, where on the one hand, we really did think, boy, everybody else is an expert. They have it figured out. But then also sarcastically, everyone became an expert because everyone told us what we were doing wrong, too. Uh, you know, yeah. we'd have enough people to go, hey, all you have to do is this. Uh, and that can be that can be a little bit challenging, too. But I can't imagine suddenly, you know, you go from Arizona to Utah to Ohio, you know, your safety nets were gone at the time that you maybe needed them most. For sure. For sure. It was a really lonely time. And honestly, even looking back, I think those four years of being in dental school in Ohio were probably the four hardest years of my life. It was it was so hard and exhausting and just emotionally draining. I believe it. My gosh, that sounds so difficult. Now, you talked about uh, kids being strong-willed and, and mm-hmm. your oldest being strong-willed. You had you shared in in the podcast some of the things that that you saw that were disconcerting to you as as your as this child specifically I think got older. Mm-hmm. You didn't see these behaviors changing. How no. alarming! How alarming is that? 
Oh, so alarming. You think when they're little, when they're toddlers, okay, well, this is because they're two or three and they're going to grow out of this. And this is normal behavior for a toddler. And then when it gets to be they're six and they get upset because you won't give them something they want and they um, spit in your face or they throw a book at your head or they yell something like, I would rather be dead than be in your family and they're six years old. And so I, at that point, that was probably the low point when he said, I would rather be dead than be in your family. And, um, I was just like, that's heartbreaking. It was, it was really heartbreaking. And that, that happened at the time when I was pregnant with my fourth baby and my husband was applying for residency programs. And it was so incredibly stressful that alone, the residency applications and all the things related to that. I've had a headache for nine solid months of being pregnant. And this Mm. is when my son was doing stuff like this, you know, telling me he'd rather be dead than be in my family. And I was just like, I don't even know where to go from here. I don't don't know how to handle this. I think he's going to grow up. He's going to end up in prison. It's going to be my fault because I obviously have no clue what I'm doing here. I felt like it was, it was all because of me. How, how do you get past that during that time? Or did you, did, did, was it much later that you came to terms with it or did you I, figure out some coping things at that time? I, I was in survival mode at that time mm-hmm. and I was just dealing with things as they came. I don't think at that time I ever got to a point where I'm just like, no, this is not me. This is definitely him. <laughs> you know, it, it felt like me for even probably a couple of years beyond this point um, that I just am like, I'm trying everything that I can think of. I'm reading all the books that I can get my hands on. I'm trying all the methods that everybody says are so amazing and wonderful and nothing's working. And so where do I go from here? You know? What does it what does an experience like that do to your faith? How does that affect your faith? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I didn't lose faith at that time. In fact, I relied on my faith to get me through. That's I think awesome. maybe the only thing that got me through those those hard years is I spent a lot of time on my knees and I would just pour out my heart to Heavenly Father and just say, I don't know what to do with these kids. I don't know how to be a good mom. I don't know what they need. I don't know how to handle them. And I had a couple of tender mercies experiences, one particular one where um, the words, you have no idea how lucky you are to be this child's mom, came Mm. clearly into my mind. In the middle of all of this you know, crazy and trying to figure out how to manage his strong will and how to teach him to just be socially appropriate. And I'm just at that time, I, I mean, of course I loved him. He was my son. Of course I loved him and my kid, but I didn't feel lucky to be in that situation. I felt really overwhelmed. So there were a couple of instances like that where, and another one that I can think of 
where I was at church one week and I had three kids at the time and we spent most of our time in the hall. I even wondered why I came sometimes because it got zero (laughs) out of the meetings, couldn't feel the spirit. And I was out in the hall with a fussy toddler and this woman in my ward who was older and she was just like the epitome of everything that I wanted to be. She had raised her five kids and they were all doing great things. And she and her husband had served a couple missions and she was just like grounded and spiritual and everything that I wanted to be. I didn't know her very well personally. I hadn't really had much interaction with her one-on-one, but she saw me out in the hallway at church dealing with this fussy toddler And she came up to me. I'm sure she had seen this like week after week because this was our life back then. And she said to me, she said, your kids have some spunk. And so that means they're going to do great things. And I like it took I was taken aback, first of all, by her timing, because I'm dealing with a screaming kid at the time. (laughs) And she's like, don't you worry. Things are going to be okay. Those kids are going to do great things. And I just looked at her and I just said, I hope you're right. And she just kind of smiled and she's like, they're going to be okay. And things like that just kind of like gave me hope to hold on to. And she was totally an answer to my prayer that day. And so I felt like the Lord was, was with me and kind of helping me, but I didn't I still felt overwhelmed. It didn't take away the the challenge for sure. Yeah, that is, I can hear it in your voice still remembering. And I think there's a great lesson there too. That can be much more helpful than advice. (laughs) Like just a little bit of support sometimes. Uh, You know, we, we, my wife and I laughed that one time with a child who sounds a lot like yours. Uh, You know, this child was having a fit and someone in our ward came up and said, oh, all he needs is just love. And I thought, wow, that never dawned on us to love our children. Thank you for that incredibly germane advice. We'll go home and try loving them, and then we'll report back. Exactly. <laughs> but getting that level of support, I, I know I've been through that too, and it's incredibly helpful. Yeah. Um, so during all these times, I mean, this can be incredibly stressful on a marriage as well. It can take its toll. I mean, uh, or and in other ways, it'll certainly strengthen you. What effect did these do these challenges have on your marriage? I don't think that it had a negative impact on our marriage. I feel like um, we lived in Utah around family that was in Utah when we were first married, and then we left and we went across the country where we didn't have that family support, and we were dealing with all of these challenges and more, you know, and. I feel like that it pulled us closer rather than pulled us apart because we had to be a team. We had to be on the same page or else we were going to fall apart. So that was a blessing. I feel like that we were able to stay together and on the same page, even with everything that was going on. That's so important. And it comes through, by the way, in in, in your podcast, which we'll get to in a minute, the strength of you and your husband, you know, and the way you guys communicate is... It's just awesome. But you're, you're going through all these throes of, you know, these difficult times, which I mean, I would guess that so many of our listeners right now are nodding, going, yeah, to whatever degree or extent <laughs> I've, I've been there in that moment. And then, uh, and then your husband had something happen that kind of changed some things in your life, right? 
Yeah. So we had left Ohio and we had moved to Indiana so he could attend um, a residency program there. And we were kind of in the middle of all this craziness with our kids. And we felt like we had tried everything and we were kind of just holding on for the ride at that point. The kids were definitely running the show. We were just trying to keep up. And he for his residency program, they brought in a parenting expert to talk to the residents, which made sense because they were pediatric residents and a lot of their job is working with parents and with kids. And so for two days, he listened to this parenting speaker talk about all these different things about parenting. And he came home with every book that this guy was selling. And he's like, I found the answer to all of our problems. And I was like, okay, lay it on me because I was very skeptical. We had tried all the things, you know, we had read so many books. And so I didn't understand how any of this could be different. And so he's like, well, just, just read this book and then we'll talk later. And so I read the book and I was like, all right, well, I'm desperate. We're desperate. So let's you know, switch things up. Let's do something different and try this out. And what was different about this um, this particular book was that it was let's parent according to common sense and let's just step back a little bit and not get so involved in the, okay, let's try to figure all this out. Let's figure out why he's acting the way that he is and maybe make excuses for the reason why he's acting the way that he is. And let's just deal with what we've got in front of us. And that, I mean, that's the very simplified version of what we read and what we decided, okay, we're just going to kind of toss everything we thought we knew about parenting out the window. And we're just going to really try to get back to the basics and get back to common sense. And when we did that, it was kind of amazing because we found so much more confidence in ourselves. And I think that our confidence, my confidence in particular, was totally shot after years of just struggle and trying things and not getting anywhere and having things get worse, I was like, I can't be a parent. I don't have the skills. I don't have the patience. I don't have any of it. I don't know what to do from, <laughs> from this, you know? And so just kind of adopting this new paradigm that, you know what, parenting is not so much about the ins and outs and how you handle this and how you handle that, but it's more about a mindset. And that mindset is okay, you can do this, you know, you can be a good parent and you don't have to have a, a whole toolbox of skills. You just need to use your common sense. And that really was a turning point for us because like I said, it gave us so much more confidence. And together, Greg and I, we just made some decisions and we decided that we were going to sit down and we were going to look at what we wanted our kids to end up like, you know, when they were 20 years old, 30 years old. How do we want, what kind of character traits do we want them to have? What kind of adults do we want them to be? And we were going to, we were going to plan for that and work for that now when they're little. And so that, those two things, you know, just common sense and forward thinking about what we wanted to end up with were game changers. And when we started thinking about it that way, um, the problem started lessening over time. It was not mm. for sure an overnight fix. But I think a lot of that was because we 
had more confidence, not because we did things differently. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. It was your, well, your mindset of, hey, I can do this. There's another thing that teaches about that called the proclamation of the family. (laughs) You know, I mean, you really were put here to do this, Lynette. I mean, that's, but it's, it's hard to keep that perspective sometimes. And so this sounds like just amazing things happened, you know, in, in your life by implementing this, this mindset and some of these principles. And then so much so that you went on to get trained in it. Yeah. Yeah. So a few years ago I trained, or it was actually like uh, about a year and a half ago, probably I trained as a parenting coach because I wanted to be able to help other people who were maybe in my shoes where I was so many years ago where I felt really like there's nowhere to go from here. I don't know what to do, you know? And so I felt like I wanted to be a resource and help parents who maybe were in that boat. I can't imagine someone more qualified. You know, you have the degree from BYU, (laughs) then you have all these experiences with these children now you've found this program and have become a certified coach. I think it's just it's just awesome. Before we get into the podcast itself and your coaching and everything else, uh, you lay out kind of some of a few of the basic principles. And obviously, you know, we don't have time to, to dive deep uh, or even to talk about how they're implemented. But I, I'd love for the listeners to kind of hear top line some of the basic principles that you teach. So... Well, the first one, like I said before, is looking to the future. I think that's huge. Having the mindset of how do I want my kids to turn out and what can I do today to make that a reality? I think that that is was like the biggest game changer for us, like I said already. But I think that um, another one on top of thinking for the future, something that I think is so important is to not look around at what other people are doing with their kids. I mm. feel like parenting is a competition these days, and there's so much pressure that comes with that, especially for moms to do oh, all the yeah. things. If you want to be a good mom, you have to do this and you have to sit by your kids every night and do their homework and you have to have them involved in X number of sports by the time they're five and you have to do this and you have to do that and be on the PTA. And it's overwhelming. It's really overwhelming when you... And none of it counts unless you get it on Instagram with the perfect photo. Totally, totally. <laughs> the Instagram too. I think that contributes to so much pressure <laughs> and anxiety of trying to be the perfect parent. First of all, nobody's perfect. That's not even on the table. And we all know that, but it still seems like some people are, are there. So I think that for me, one of the biggest ways that you can be a better parent is just to stop looking around and do what feels right for you and for your kids, because maybe it's going to look different. And that's okay. You have to be okay and be able to find confidence and peace in knowing that it's okay, that you don't have to be like the mom down the street. Oh, how I love that. That's a great principle. You yeah. talk a lot about, I, I listened to, well, I listened to one of the episodes that I was fascinated by. It was a phrase, I don't know how I've never heard it, but you talk about lawnmower parents. Tell oh, us yeah. what a lawnmower parent is and why that's dangerous. 
you have never heard of a lawnmower parent? No, no. In <sighs> fact, I mean, again, I'm a little bit older. You know, my youngest is, gosh, 16 <laughs> years old. I've We always worried about helicopter parents it's, that well, okay. hover and hover and hover uh-huh. and hover over making right. sure everything's fine. But lawnmower parenting is a little bit different. Yeah, that's it's taking helicopter parenting one step further. So sometimes <laughs> they're also called snowplow parents, lawnmower parents. That those two are interchangeable. But basically, what it means is that the parent is going to smooth all of the obstacles. They're going to mow down all of the obstacles, or as many as they possibly can, to make it so that their child doesn't have to have challenges, doesn't have to suffer, doesn't have to, you know, experience anything unpleasant. Um, That's really kind of what it boils down to. And so these parents step in and just fix and manage all of the Mm. things. And so the problem with that is that kids who have had parents who do this and who fix everything and who remove obstacles they don't learn resilience. They don't learn problem solving. They don't learn a lot of necessary life skills. And so they grow up kind of fragile. And then they leave home and their parents aren't there to do all this fixing and doing and managing for them. And they kind of don't know what to do. And they struggle as they transition into adulthood. And I, I don't know, I think this is a trend and I think it's dangerous. Yeah. Yep, me too. <laughs> so, yeah, I, yeah, absolutely. I hadn't heard the phrase, but it makes perfect sense. And we definitely see that a lot now. It's funny as you're sharing all these principles because, uh, you know, you talk about agency, you talk about responsibility, you talk about structure, you talk about, you know, just all these things, very gospel centric. I mean, everything you're talking yeah. about is kind of laid out for families as it is and for individuals. I love the idea of raising children thinking about, uh, well, basically raising adults, which brings us Mm -hmm. to your podcast. How did you and your husband decide to do a podcast? First of all, tell us the name of the podcast. The podcast is called How to Raise Grownups. So, yes. I love that title. I was kind of thrown by it at first, like, how to raise grownups? Why are you raising grownups? Then listening, I get it. It's thinking of your children in a mindset of what do you want them to be as grownups. It's brilliant. Right, exactly. So, yeah, once again, that long-range vision. So how the podcast came to be... um, I've had a blog for the past six years that I started when my youngest child went to kindergarten. And so I started the blog with the intention of writing about parenting, of writing about my experiences, of trying to help other moms. And so I did that and I wrote and I got tired of writing about parenting. And so I started writing about all whatever I felt like writing about. And I had really no direction. And, um, a few years ago, a couple of years ago, I, I kind of came to a point where I was at a crossroads and I was kind of tired and I didn't really want to do the blog anymore. I just wanted to do something else and I just wanted to whatever, move on. And so I was praying about what I should do. And it was one of those experiences where 
the Lord just opened the floodgates of inspiration. And for like 30 minutes, I was just getting idea after idea after idea, like really specific ideas. And that's when um, pretty much I got rebuked a little bit and Heavenly Father told me, okay, I need you to stop messing around and writing about all this fluff. And I need you to help parents. Um, I need you to really zone in. You have this experience. You have this knowledge. I need you to share it. And I want you to share it in the form of a podcast. And I want you to go get trained as a parenting coach. And I want you to do all of these things. Wow. And so it was super clear. And I will be really honest and tell you that I was like, not really wanting to go there. I'm like, I don't, <laughs> I wrote about parenting. I got tired of parenting. I don't want to talk about parenting. I want to talk about something else. And um, the Lord made it super clear that, um, no, I need you to help strengthen families. So that's how the podcast came about. It is fantastic. And it's you and your husband, which it's such a great combination. Your husband's very funny. I've got to, I've just got to say, your husband has a great sense of humor and you guys have a, a good back and forth. And one of the things that I really, I enjoy about the show is that uh, it's not clinical. You guys are very open about your experiences, both good and bad, but you also, you have a great uh, tendency to really want to sort of share things, you know, in a funny way, in a very personal way. So I'm, I'm a big fan. If people want to listen to the podcast, where, where can they go? Well, you can find it on all the podcast places. So once again, it's called How to Raise Grownups, or you can go to my website at raisegrownups.com and you can find it there. Yeah. And if you're searching for Lynette, and this is one of my favorite things, both <laughs> your first name and last name are spelled just a little bit differently than a lot of Lynette's and Shepherds. Give uh -huh. us a spelling on your first and last name if people are looking for you. <laughs> it's L-Y-N-N-E-T-T-E. -T -T -E, so there's two N's, makes it hard. And Shepherd is S-H-E-P-P-A-R-D. And one of my favorite things, I can't leave this out. If you search for another Lynette Shepherd, who might you find? You might find the menopause goddess. The and menopause if you find, goddess. If you find Lynette <laughs> Shepard, the menopause goddess, that's not me. You got the wrong one. That's not you. So make sure to spell it correctly. Otherwise, right. you might end up going down a totally different path. Exactly. And are you, still, are you still doing coaching if people are interested in private coaching? You know, I haven't ever got the private coaching off the ground. I've more been focusing on the podcast. And I'm actually just starting to write a book. So that will, that is turning out to be quite the project. But at this point, I'm not doing one-on-one -on -one coaching. That might come at some point in the future. That is just awesome. Lynette, I love that you are taking what were obviously very difficult experiences and you and your husband have uh, found some some tools that I'm sure everybody can use because parenting, you know, I've got I've got eight of them myself. It is not easy. It is not for the faint of heart. But I love that you and your husband are going out and are sharing these things. That you're sharing your experiences. It's just wonderful. We're gonna we're gonna wrap up today's uh, conversation with the question that we ask all of our guests, and that is Lynette Shepard. What does being a member of the church mean to you? Honestly, being a member of the church means everything to me. I cannot imagine my life without 
the gospel. It's so deeply woven into every aspect of my life that it's hard to separate myself from my faith. But even in just recent weeks with the events happening with this pandemic and all the craziness going on in the world, it means also that I can find peace when there is chaos and when there's trouble and when things are going crazy. Um, as, as you know, my husband is a dentist. And so as of last week, he's unable to practice indefinitely because of mm. this virus. And so yeah. um, last week when that reality kind of hit, I was a bit of a mess for a little bit trying to process that and the potential implications of that. But the next day when I woke up, I just felt so much peace and it didn't make logical sense. And that peace is just kind of lasted and it's overarching everything that's going on right now. I feel like I should be worried and stressed, but I'm not. I'm totally at peace. And I attribute that 100% to my faith in Jesus Christ and his grace and his power, because on my own, there's no way that I would be functioning properly under these stressful circumstances. But just being able to be at peace, I think that is what the gospel means to me. Oh, what a fantastic response. She is a wife, a mother. She is an expert now on parenting for sure. She is the host of a podcast and soon to be author, which will be very excited about that. Lynette Shepard, thank you for coming on, sharing your Latter-day life with us. We appreciate it. I'm so happy to have been here. Thank you. And my special thanks to Lynette Shepard. I so thoroughly enjoyed talking to her. And please go check out the podcast she and her husband do. Such great tips on parenting and just great thoughts. Lynette is an amazing soul. And uh, again, I just thoroughly enjoyed it. This week in my Latter-day life, uh, I got to catch up with an old friend of mine, someone I hadn't talked to in in many, many years. And I mean, we've touched base here and there a little bit on Facebook and a quick phone call maybe over the years, but we hadn't sat and talked for a long time. And he called me up uh, just to ask for me to connect him to someone he needed to meet. Um, and I I then started asking him kind of what else was happening in his life, and it led to a long conversation. We were on the phone for more than an hour. I don't know about you, I've kind of noticed that I embrace uh, phone calls and Zoom and FaceTime and all kinds of things a little bit more with the coronavirus thing going on. But it was so great to catch up with him. He is an amazing soul. He's a friend of mine named Toby. And uh, I just love him. And I had to remind him of how we became friends in the first place. Because uh, I think he had forgotten, but it was an experience that I will never forget in my life. My wife and I moved into our first apartment in Provo. We had moved out from California. We had been married less than a year. And we got into this this apartment complex. It was right across the street from Provo Bakery. If you know Provo, you probably know Provo Bakery. Best Donuts. Oh, that place is amazing. That was a dangerous, dangerous place to live. But we moved in and immediately the elders quorum president, he came out to to meet with us and we had a good, good opportunity to sit down. He seemed like such a nice guy. His name was Rhett. And we, we had a, a great conversation with him. And that Sunday we went to church and, you know, church in a new ward can be a whirlwind. And it was good to know that Rhett was there. He was our, you know, again, our elders quorum president. And then the only thing I remembered from that Sunday 
was that I met two guys in our elders quorum who introduced themselves. Their names were were Toby and Jordan, and they said they lived right across the street from me. And the only reason I remembered them is because right across the street next to the Provo Bakery is a mortuary. And I was like, what, you live at the mortuary? And it turns out that the mortuary, it's a family-owned mortuary. The mortuary is on the main floor, and then up above, they actually have two apartments (laughs) built in. And I just thought that was the weirdest thing ever. I was like, what do you mean you live in a mortuary? And for whatever reason, that stuck out in my mind, and, and they seemed like such nice guys. And that was that was Toby, and that was Jordan. And so I remembered that. And then another guy in passing, right as I was getting ready to walk out, introduced himself, and he said his name was Chell. And I remember asking Chell, like, will you spell that? And it was C-H-E-L. And I thought, Chell, what a unique name. I will never forget that name because it was just so different. Chell. And that was it. I went on my way. We left church that day. And that afternoon, uh, Rhett, our elders quorum president, stopped by our, our apartment. And he said, hey, I just want you to know I get a really good feeling from you. And uh, I need a new second counselor for the elders quorum presidency. I need a new second counselor. And uh, I'm going to submit your name. And I kind of looked at him like, I just got here. This is my first Sunday. I don't know how much help I'll be in the quorum, but okay. And then he said, uh, and actually, my first counselor is moving this week. And this was not a student ward at all, but a fairly transient ward, you know, a lot of young families. And he said, my, my first counselor is moving out, and I'll probably suggest that they make you the first counselor when he leaves. And I I said, well, of course, I'll serve in whatever capacity I need. And that was pretty much it. And uh, I got a call uh, a couple days later uh, asking me to come down to the church. And sure enough, I was asked if I'd be the first counselor uh, for the elders quorum presidency. We just jumped right ahead to that. And so, great, I was going to be the first counselor. A day or two later, there was a knock at my door, and it was the elders quorum president again, Rhett. He knocked on the door and he said, hey, I just need to let you know the craziest thing has happened. Uh, Someone came to our door and they're looking for an investment property and they made a cash offer on my home and I have decided to accept it. And we are moving out in the next two days. And this was on a Wednesday or a Thursday. I had not even been to church a second time. (laughs) And he said, I'm letting the the bishopric stake presidency, I'm letting everybody know and uh, I'm suggesting that you would be the right guy to be the new elders quorum president. And I said, Rhett, I don't know anyone in our ward. He said, nope, trust me, you'll be fine. But I, as he left, I kind of thought, well, they're not going to do it anyway. They're not going to call the brand new guy in the ward to be the elders quorum president. But sure enough, I got a phone call asking if I would uh, come down to the church on Sunday morning. And so as I headed down to the church on Sunday morning and sat down, I was asked if I would be the new elders quorum president of that ward. And I certainly expressed my concerns and my fears. I said, I'm always willing to serve, but I don't, I don't know this ward. I don't know this quorum. I don't know how I'm going to serve them. And they said, uh, you know, you're, you're going to be great. We, we, we trust you. We believe in you. And, uh, with faith, you'll be fine. And so I accepted. And then they said, okay, we need you to call two counselors and a secretary. And as I sat there in that meeting, literally only two names came to mind as counselors because they were the only two names I knew, Toby and Jordan, the two guys who live above the mortuary. 
And I kind of shrugged and was this inspiration or was this just the only people I knew? So I said, okay, it's Toby and it's Jordan. And they said, great, we'll check into that. And uh, they said, we need a secretary. And I remember Chell because of his cool name. And I said, okay, Chell. And we were all young. We were all under 25 uh, at the time. But uh, that's who I said, because it's literally, those are the only names I knew. And so it turned out that uh, those names were cleared. They were called. And uh, literally after having attended one time, I was the elders quorum president in that ward. And Chell was pretty new too. And to be honest, Jordan and Toby hadn't lived there that long either. But as we met as a presidency, uh, and we were prayerful and thoughtful. And this was before you could organize things on computers. This was binders and uh, lined sheets of paper and uh, all kinds of printouts. And it was a very different time. But for that time that we lived there, and we didn't live there very long, but for the time that we lived there, I was the elders quorum president the whole time. And Jordan and Toby would come over early Sunday mornings for presidency meeting and chill. And we would all sit down and be prayerful about the needs of our ward. And there was there were a lot of needs in that ward. And we had some wonderful activities and great moments of fellowshipping and ministering and moving people in and moving people out. And I was so grateful. And, and to catch up with Toby this week and to remind him of that, I think he had forgotten that... Uh, that we had barely met, and yet here we are 25 years later. There is a bond that comes when we serve. When we build the kingdom with other people, that bond is incredibly strong. And I think right now a lot of us are looking around at the coronavirus situation and we're thinking, I can't handle this. I can't do it. And maybe we're worried about our finances or we're worried about our resources or about our parenting. But I'll tell you, I was so unprepared for that calling. I was so unprepared in my own mind. But I had met the right people. I remembered their names, and they were there to serve with me. And the Lord gave me everything I needed. And I loved that experience. And it was so hard to move out of that ward, as I loved serving the people as the elders' quorum president. What you have is enough. If we'll all be mindful and prayerful, just get down on our knees and ask the Lord to to bless the efforts that we are putting forward, it will be enough, even in this terribly difficult time. He will provide resources. He will put people in our lives. He will give us the things that we need to move forward if we will have the faith. And that's what's happening this week in my Latter-day life. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. We really appreciate it. If you get the thought to leave us a five-star review, it sure does help other people to find the podcast. And uh, we're very grateful for that. If you want to follow us on social media, we are on Facebook and Instagram. We'd love to see you there. And if you want to reach out to me directly, I can be reached at Sean at LatterdayLives.com. That's S-H-A-W-N at LatterdayLives.com. I think that's about it for this week. So until we meet again, there is a great, big, beautiful world out there. So go be in it. Stay six feet away from other people. (laughs) And don't be of it. Thanks for listening. 